Chapter 6 of A Man Obsessed by Alan E. Norse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 Jeff reached out and took the dice from the girl's hand. Put them away, Blackie, he said softly. You don't have to prove anything, I know. Game! she repeated harshly, shaking her head. Look, think a minute. Back there, do you know what happened in that room?" Her eyes caught his and were wide with fear. "'Game!' she whispered, her hands trembling. "'You've got to play me!' He shrugged. His eyes tired as he watched her face. He took the dice and rolled them out on the table. A three, a four, and a five fell. He saw her eyes flash across the table, taking in the sequence. Then her hand reached out, grasped the dice, gave them a throw. The hostility in her mind struck out at him, reinforcing the terrible dread that he already felt. He fought the hostility, staring at the dice, his hands gripping the edge of the table. And the dice danced and settled down. A three, a four, and a five. The girl's eyes widened, staring first at him, then back at the dice. Slowly she reached out took the cube with the five showing, sent it bouncing across the table. It spun and bounced, and settled down once again, with the five exposed. Jeff felt the blast of bitter fear strike out from the girl's eyes. The room seemed to scream with the tension he felt. She took the dice with trembling hands, threw them out hard, and clenched her fists as they fell. The three and four settled out immediately. Jeff watched the third cube spinning on one corner, spinning, spinning. He felt his muscles grow tense, his mind screaming, tightening down as he stared at the little cube. It was as though an iron fist held his brain in its palm and was slowly, slowly squeezing. And the little cube continued ridiculously to spin and spin, until it quite suddenly flipped over onto its side and lay still with the five exposed. Blackie gave a choked scream, her face pasty white. "'Then it was you!' she choked, staring at him as if he were a ghost. "'You were doing it deliberately in there, throwing off the odds, twisting things around, turning the dice against me!' Jeff shook his head violently. "'No, no, not me. Us. Both of us. We were fighting each other, without knowing it. Her hand went up to her mouth, choking off the words as she stared at him. Jeff stared at the dice, his whole body trembling, huge drops of sweat running down his forehead. And as he watched, the dice hopped about on the table, like jumping beans, turning over and over, jerkily, spinning on their edges in a horrible, incredible little dance. Jeff shook his head, his eyes wide with horror, as he watched the dice. "'You knew it all along.' the girl choked. You came in there just to torment me, to show me up. No, no, Jeff turned, wide eyes on her. I didn't know it, until I picked up the dice in that room. Something drove me to do it. I didn't know what I was doing until all of a sudden the dice were doing what I wanted them to do. He broke off, panting. I never knew it. I never dreamed it. His eyes sought the girl's, pleading. I didn't understand it. I couldn't help it. 
I just knew that something wrong was going on, and then I knew that somebody was fighting me. There was a tension in it. I felt it. I knew somebody was tampering with the dice. Then when I got near you, I knew it was you." The girl's face was working, tears welling up in her eyes. I had to... I had to win with them. Then you knew you were doing it. Jeff stared at her. And when both of us started tampering, opposing each other, the probabilities governing the games went wild, completely wild. The girl was sobbing, her face in her hands. I could always control it. It always worked. It was the only thing I could do that came out right. Everything else has always gone wrong. She sobbed like a baby, her shoulders shaking as she choked out great, racking sobs. Jeff leaned forward, almost cruelly, his eyes burning at her. When did you find out you could make dice fall the way you wanted them to? The girl shook her head helplessly. I didn't know it. I didn't have any idea until I came here. It was the only thing I could win at. Everything else I lost at. All my life I've been losing." What have you been losing? Everything. Everything. Everything I touch turns black, goes sour somehow. But what? What? Jeff leaned toward the girl, his voice hoarse. Why did you come here? How did you get here? The girl's sobs broke out again, her shoulders shaking in anguish. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I could take it up to a limit, but then I couldn't stand it any more. Everything I tried went wrong. Everyone that was near me went wrong, too. Even the rackets wouldn't work with me around. What rackets? Her voice was weak and cracking. Any of the rackets. I've been in a dozen, two dozen, ever since the war. Dad was killed in the first bombing of the Fourth War, when I was just a kid. Twelve, thirteen, I can't remember now. He died trying to get us out of the city and through the defense area north of the Trenton section. Radiation burns got him, maybe pneumonia, I don't know. But it got Dad first, and Mom later. She straightened up and wiped her eyes with her sleeve. We never did get out of the devastated area. We were killing dogs and cats for food for a while. Then, when things did get straightened out, we ran into the inflation, the burned-out crops, the whole rat race. The dirty breaks were coming in hard then. First we were gorillas. Then we were bushwhackers. Then, when we came into the city again and started shaking down the rich ones that came back from the mountains where they hid. But you came in here. Jeff grated. Why here, if you were doing so well in rackets? I wasn't. Can't you understand? The luck. It was running wrong. Worse and worse all the time. And when I got hooked on dope, narcotics control was all shot to pieces during the war. Heron was all over the place. But they knew I had this hard luck jinx. They caught me on it, until I was hooked bad. She shrugged her face a study in pathetic hopelessness. They hauled me in here. Schimmel sold me his bill of goods. What could I lose? I was so tired, I didn't care. I didn't care if they jolted my brains loose, or what they did to me, 
All I wanted was to eat and get off the dope and get enough cash so I could try for something decent, where hard luck couldn't touch me. And I didn't really care if I never got out. But with the dice you made it out. Oh, yes, with the dice. The girl's eyes flickered for a moment. I found out I could make them sit up and talk for me. I played it cozy, didn't let anybody catch on. But they always work for me, until tonight." Jeff nodded, his face white. Until tonight, when you found out you were fighting for control. Because tonight I found out they talk for me, too. And you couldn't beat me with them. Her voice was weak. I... I couldn't budge them. They fell the way you called them. It isn't possible, you know, Jeff said softly. Every time they've tried to prove it was, they've found some loophole in the study of it, something wrong somewhere. Nobody's ever proved a thing about psychokinesis." The girl grinned mirthlessly. They've been trying to prove it here since the year one. Every now and again they get hot on it. They've just tested somebody that's got them excited and they'll be starting the whole works over again. Jeff leaned over, his eyes blazing. Yes, yes, who's that person? I don't know. I just heard it. A new recruit, I guess. A recruit named Conroe? Her eyes widened at the virulence in his voice. I... I don't know. I don't know. I've only heard. I don't even know if there is such a person. Where can I find out? Again the fear was in her eyes. I... I don't know. Jeff's voice was tense, his eyes fixed on the girl's face in desperate eagerness. Look, you've got to help me. I know he's here. I must find him. I saw him this afternoon. Remember when the guards brought me in here? I saw him on the stairs. I chased him and lost him, but he's here. He's hiding, running away from me. I've got to find him somehow. Please, Blackie, you can help me. Her eyes were wide on his face. "'What do you want with him? Why are you after him? I don't want to get mixed up in anything. No, no, it won't mix you up. Look, I want to kill him. Short and sweet, nothing more. Just kill him. I want to send one bullet into his brain, watch his face splatter out, watch his skull break open. That's all I want. Just one bullet.' Jeff's voice was low. The words wrenched from his throat, and the hatred in his eyes was poisonous as it washed over the girl's face. He haunts me. For years he's haunted me. Jeff's voice dropped, the words breaking the stillness of the room in a hoarse, terrible cadence. He killed my father. This Conroe. He butchered my father like an animal, shot him down in cold blood. It was horrible, ruthless. Conroe was the assassin. He killed my father without a thought of mercy in his mind. And I loved my father. I loved him with all the love I had." He stared at the girl. "'I'll kill the man that killed my father, if I have to die myself in the killing.' "'And that man is here? That man is here. I've hunted him for years. This was his last resort his final desperate gamble for escape. He had nowhere else to turn. 
I've got the outside tied up so that he doesn't dare to leave. Now I've got to track him down in here. I've got to find him and kill him, before I'm caught, before I'm tested and classified. I've got to move fast, and I need help. I need help so much." The girl leaned toward him, her eyes dark as she stared at him. "'The dice,' she said softly. "'I've been playing it cozy. I still could, if you'll let me.' His eyes widened. "'Anything you say,' he said. "'We'll play it cozy together. But I've got to have floor plans of the place, information on how to avoid the guards. I've got to know where their records are kept, their lists and rosters and working plans.' Then it's a deal?" His eyes caught hers, and for an instant he saw something behind the mask she wore, something of the fear that lay back there, something of a little child who fought against impossible odds to find a toehold in the world. Then the barrier was back up, and her eyes were blank and revealed nothing. Jeff held out his hand, touched her palm lightly, and clenched her fingers. "'It's a deal,' he said. The trip down the corridor was a nightmare. Jeff's mind was still reeling from the incredible discovery of the dice, the sudden, unbelievable awareness that he and Blackie had been silently and fiercely battling each other for control, fighting with a fury that had somehow shattered the very warp of probability in the room where they had been. How could he have had a part in something like this? He had never had reason to suspect he might carry such a power yet here was evidence he could not disregard. And how could it fit into the question of Paul Conroe, and the mysterious recruit to the Mercy Men who had just been tested? A thought struck Jeff, quite suddenly. It came with such impact that he stopped cold in his tracks. It was so simple, so impossible, yet no more impossible than the things he had already seen with his own eyes because the incredible record of escapes that Conroe carried, the impossible regularity with which Conroe had managed to avoid capture, time after time, seemed too much to accept as coincidence. And if Conroe were indeed carrying latent extrasensory powers, he could continue to slip from trap after trap, unless Jeff could oppose those powers with powers of his own. Jeff cursed in his teeth. How could he tell? He had no evidence that Conroe carried any extrasensory power whatsoever, and surely there was little enough to indicate that he had any more than most latent powers. There were so many, many possibilities, and so little concrete evidence to go on. And if Conroe had such powers, why had he been so startled to meet Jeff on the stairs? Why the look of fear and disbelief that had streaked across his face? Jeff glanced at his watch, saw the minute hand move to eleven-thirty. He would have to hurry, for the guards would be down the escalator in a few moments. And these thoughts of his could lead to nowhere. Conroe had been jolted to see Jeff. It must have been a horrible shock for him to realize that the hunter had followed him, even into this death-trap, to know that the hunter would have the outside so well guarded that he, the hunted, could never get out. Now Conroe would be forced to gamble against being caught and assigned to work as a mercy man. Yes, it must have been a horrible jolt for Conroe, 
driving one last searing bolt of fear into his already desperate mind. And what would he have tried to do? A thousand ideas flooded Jeff's mind. He was waiting for testing. Perhaps Conroe, somehow, had been tested already. Could Jeff succeed in stalling Schimmel, especially if the rumors spinning down the dark corridors were true? There was no sure way of telling. All Jeff could do was to search the fire-rooms Blackie had directed him to. He stopped at the entrance to the escalator, pored over the floor-plan Blackie had sketched for him. He spotted the escalator, oriented himself on the plan. The filing-rooms were two flights below. If he could reach them without being stopped... He moved silently onto the down shaft, his eyes moving constantly for a sight of a grey-garbed prowler. At the foot of the escalator he stopped short. Three men in white were pushing a gurney along the corridor. Jeff glanced quickly at the twitching form under the blankets. Then he looked away hurriedly. One of the men dropped behind and waved at him sharply as he stepped off the stairs. The man still wore the operating mask hanging from his neck, and his hair was tightly enclosed in the green-knit operating cap. The doctor tipped a thumb over his shoulder and pointed down the corridor. "'You coming to fix the pump?' Jeff blinked rapidly. "'That's right,' he croaked. "'Did—did did Jerry come with the tools yet?' "'Nobody came in yet. We just finished.' Been in there since three this afternoon, and the damned pump went kerflui right in the middle. Had to aspirate the poor Joe by hand, and if you think that's not a job... The doctor wiped sweat from his forehead. Better get it fixed tonight. We've got another one going in at eight in the morning, and we've got to have the pump. Jeff nodded and started down the hall, his heart thudding madly against his ribs. He reached the open door to one of the operating rooms. Slipping quickly into the small dressing-room annex, he snatched one of the gowns and caps from the wall. If they were still operating this late, it was a heaven-sent chance. No guard would bother him if he were wearing the white of a doctor or the green of a surgeon. He struggled into the clumsy gowning, tying it quickly behind his back, and slipped a cap over his head. Finally he found a mask, snapped it up under his ears, as he had seen it worn by the doctors in the corridors. In a moment he was back on the escalator, descending to the next floor. At the foot of the stairs he started quickly down the corridor Blackie had indicated, glancing at each door as he passed. The first two had lights under them, indicating that these apparently were operating rooms still in use. Finally he stopped before a large, heavy door, with a simple sign painted on the wooden panel, Computer Technicians Only. He tried the door, found it locked. Quickly he glanced up and down the corridor, doubled a hard fist and drove it through the panel with a crunch. Then he fumbled inside for the lock. In an instant he was inside. The torn hole in the panel glared at him. He threw the door wide open and snapped on the overhead lights, throwing the room into bright, fluorescent light. Then he drew the pale green gown closer about him and moved across the room to the huge file panel that faced him. It was not his first experience with the huge punched card files which had become so necessary in organizations where the numbers and volumes of records made human operatives too slow or clumsy. Quickly Jeff moved to the master control panel, 
search for the section and coding system for research subject personnel. First he would try the simple coding for Conroe's name, on the chance that Conroe had come in using his own name. Jeff rechecked the coding, punched the buttons which would relay through the cards alphabetically. Then he waited as the machinery whirred briefly. A panel lighted near the bottom of the control board, spelling the two words, No Information. Jeff's fingers sped over the coding board again, as he started coding in a description. He coded in height, weight, eye color, hair color, bone contour, lip formation, every other descriptive category he could think of. Then again he punched the search button. This time several dozen cards fell down. He picked them up from the yield slot and slowly leafed through them, glancing both at the small photograph attached to each card and at the small date-of-admission code symbol at the top of each card. Again he found nothing. Disgusted, he tried the same system again, this time adding two limiting coding symbols, subject, personnel, and recent admission. And again the cards were negative. Not a single one could possibly have been connected with Paul Conroe. Jeff sat down at the desk facing the panel, and he searched his mind for another path of identification. Suddenly a thought occurred to him. He searched through his pocket for a picture wallet, drew out the small, ID-sized photo of Conroe that he carried for identification purposes. Searching the panel, he finally found the slot he was looking for the small photoelectronic chamber for recording picture identification. He slipped the photo into the slot, punched the search button, and waited again, his whole body tense. The machine buzzed for a long moment. Then a single card dropped into the slot. Eagerly Jeff snatched it up, stared down at the attached photograph which almost perfectly matched the photo from his pocket. Near the top of the card was a small typewritten notation. Conroe, Paul A. Information restricted. All file notations recorded in Hoffman Center Central Archives. Below this notation was a list of dates. Jeff read them, staring in disbelief, then read them again. Incredible, those dates. Dates of admission to the Hoffman Center and dates of release. It was impossible that Conroe could have been here at the times the dates indicated. Ten years ago, when the Hoffman Center was hardly opened. Five years ago, during the very time when Jeff had been tracking him down. Yet the dates were there, in black and white, cold, impersonal, indisputable. And below the dates was a final notation, inked in by hand. Central Archives Classification, ESP Research. Swiftly, Jeff stuffed the card into his shirt. He refiled the other cards with trembling fingers, his heart pounding a frightful tattoo in his forehead. Incredible, yet he knew, somehow, that it fit into the picture, that it was the key to the picture. He turned, started for the door, and stopped dead. "'Schimmel!' he breathed. The figure lounged against the door, green cap askew on his head mask still dangling about his neck. There was a smile on his face as he leaned back, regarding Jeff in amusement. Nonchalantly he tossed a pair of dice into the air and caught them, still smiling. "'Let's go, Jeff,' 
said Dr. Schimmel. We've got some tests to run. You... you mean in the morning? Jeff stammered, hardly believing his ears. The smile broadened on the doctor's lips, and he gave the dice another toss and dropped them in his pocket. Not in the morning, Jeff, he said softly. Now. End of chapter 6